Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hi, here we are, Ayers on the Road, in Maui, Hawaii, in Makawao, to be exact, upcountry by Haleakala, on when a gorgeous th- day. When you think of Hawaii, what do you think of? Beaches and and uh, volcanoes and so on. Well, we're actually on the side of a volcano, but we're in a little town called Makawao, which is it's like a little rodeo town. In fact, they have a rodeo here, and they just uh, some of the rodeo horses. I can see them when I look out our window, and it's just beautiful. the The, the Hawaiians call it up country because it's up. We're about three thousand feet out of ten thousand on Haleakala. And, but we're only seven minutes from the beach, so what a deal. Yeah, and it's a good deal. What, you know, people say, why are you there, and why have you been there so long? We're trying to finish up a couple of riding projects, and man, is this a good place to work. It is, and we have Woo! mixed in a little beach time, you have to admit it, snorkeling a bit, and um, we have a son who lives here about 50 yards away, actually, with their five kids and he his built, wife, his he wonderful built this wife, little of house for us, so we're, we're pretty excited about that. But, Linda, we got to get right to it because, man, we have got a great show in mind today. We're, I, I can't remember being so excited about Ayers on the Road because we're going to talk about a wonderful principle and an attitude, kind of a paradigm, that we think is key to uh, parenting and to good marriages. And it's a companion to the show we did last week. We have these two wonderful favorite words. And the last show we did, if you missed it, you can go back and get it on byuradio.org. But it was about serendipity and about how being in the moment and um, being mindful is the key to good parenting because then you see what's really going on with your kids and you recognize teaching moments and so on. And today we're going to do the other bookend of these attitudes that we think are so important to families and to relationships in general. And it is the wonderful word stewardship. Stewardship of the heart was a book that Richard wrote many years ago. Well, you helped fact, me. You gave me, you were the example. You were right. my oh, muse. Sure. Right. You um, were my model. Well, it's been so great to go back and think about this because there's just, it's, it's fascinating how much you forget of what you, not only what you wrote, but what you thought. And it's kind of becomes part of you, but you forget the specifics. And so we it's want, been fun to go back through Yeah, this. we want to share a little with you. And I think it's fair to say, Linda, that stewardship for us personally and really for our whole family has become a way of looking at everything, kind of a way that has increased our peace and enhanced our joy. The word or the concept is like a lens, if you start seeing things in a in a stewardship lens, it gives you a new focus and it causes us to see things in a completely different context, to see them as they really are and sometimes even to glimpse them as God would wish them to be seen. And you'll all remember the Apostle John, the beautiful scripture, know the truth and the truth shall make us free. We think there's great freedom in the truth of stewardship, 
once we mentally release ourselves from the burden, the inaccuracy of ownership, that's the counter word, right, honey? I mean, right. we're trying to say we don't own anything. Ownership is a lie. Ownership is false. Ownership is, you know, it's a crock. We don't own anything. God owns everything. Things pass through our hands. And once we get rid of that ownership notion, we lighten ourselves. We, we become more free. But you can't get rid of something without replacing it. And what we're saying is replace the lie of ownership with the truth of stewardship. So how would you really describe, I mean, that was a good description of stewardship, but if you were just going to say to somebody, why is it so important to feel stewardship? Um, what, what is, how does that change you? Well, I think, you know, stewardship and ownership are, are basically the two ways of dealing with material possessions. They're the two alternative ways of thinking about everything in life, from our talents to our opportunities, even to our children. And we're not suggesting that anyone should live like Gandhi or Thoreau or sell all they have and give to the poor, or, or that we adopt a completely Spartan life or, or live communally or anything like that. It's not a, this is not about lifestyle. It, it's about a mindset or better, better said, a heart set that can free us from the cares of ownership and help us see our lives as we believe God would have us see them. We're stewards over the things he has given to us. So, um, you know, each person's stewardship is really unique. I'm sure we all realize that. And each of us has kind of separate and distinct four nations, we can say. Therefore, there is no standard formula and really no pat answer. The goal of this book, I think, when you wrote it, is just not to provide ready-made answers, but to provide perspective and help us think. And the, those very thoughts can work within us and prompt prayer and inspiration and, and give us access to real answers that form the real so from the real source. Exactly. So the whole premise here is that we came to this earth that our heavenly father made for us that god made and here we receive gifts we receive opportunities we receive children we receive things that pass through our hands and but but ownership in the worldly context of i earned it i deserve it it's mine that's where pride comes from that's where that's where we begin to to envy and to covet and to be condescending to people that have less than us. And the term stewardship is the more accurate acknowledgement of where it all came from and whose it all is. Well, <clears throat> let me just ask you, uh, I mean, does that mean if your house burned down, um, you shouldn't be so sad because you were steward? over those things that were in the house, but they were just things. I mean, is that what you're saying? Or well, in a way, and I, I think oh, that's a good question, honey, because we're going to try to explore. I mean, we a lot of us use the word stewardship fairly often in a, in a spiritual sense, but it's not a word you hear very often just out walking around town. And we want to think about what what it really means, and can we really turn loose of things? Can we really say, 
yeah, I, I like this house. I, I've earned money for many years. I took a loan out. I bought this house. It's mine. I have a deed for it. But it's not really mine because well, we really don't own anything. And if it burned down, I'd say, well... There goes that stewardship. Well, actually, that did happen to us. That's why that popped into my mind, because we had a little log cabin uh, down in southern Utah at New Harmony, and we came home one day and turned on the TV, and it was showing our cabin engulfed in flames. That was I mean, quite it was, a shock. It was like, wait, that, that's our, wait, that's our cabin. And it really did create a lot of interesting feelings about stewardship and ownership and so on as we went through that. And the same thing applies with children because, you know, I, I could say I went through a lot of trouble to bring this child into the world. And I mean, we created him genetically, and, and so we, we own this so child. We got him, and we should be able to control what what he does or what he says and what happens and so on. And Really, that's not the mindset that works. No, and the minute we change that for stewardship. So one reason I was so excited for today's show, Linda, is that we're that we, when we started this book, we, we did a lot of research. We found some fabulous quotations and references and scriptures that really talk about stewardship as an alternative to ownership, as an attitude, as a truth. And they're so much better than we could ever express them. Let me let me start out with something that Wordsworth said. William Wordsworth. Think of the beauty of these, these words and how they tie into stewardship. Wordsworth said, The world is too much with us, late and soon. Getting and spending, we lay waste to our powers. The sea that bears her bosom to the moon, the winds that will be howling at all hours, are upgathered now like sleeping flowers for this, for everything. We are out of tune. It moves us not. Wow. If you're, if you're caught up in ownership, you miss the gifts that the Lord gave. And what about Bertrand Russell? It is the preoccupation with possession more than any other thing that keeps us men and women from living freely and nobly. The preoccupation wow. with possession. That's what kills us. And one of our favorites, E.E. E. Cummings, who always will give you a laugh. More, 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 more. My word, what are we all becoming? Morticians? <laughs> <laughs> we want more all the time. Let me tell you a quick story. And you can enhance this, Linda. This is where the word stewardship first started really meaning something to us. We were students back in Boston, and our our ward team had won the regional church tournament, so we, we were qualified to go to what they used to have, the all-church basketball tournament in Salt Lake City, and we wanted to all go from Boston. But we didn't really have the money to go. We were just students. And our bishop said, well, go talk to Brother Hartley. And I I, didn't, I knew who Brother Hartley was. He was a humble guy. I, I, didn't, I couldn't imagine why we'd talk to him. But we told him the situation, and I'll never forget this wonderful guy. He lived very modestly, but it turned out he was really, really wealthy. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, you know, I'm, I'm happy to finance that trip. Boys, he called us boys. He said, I, I look at everything as a stewardship, and whenever there's a worthy cause that I can get rid of some of my stewardship and not have to worry about it anymore, I take it. 
and he went in the other room and wrote a check out. And I thought, wow, what an attitude. He sees everything as God's, and he's a steward over it, and he loves to get rid of part of it. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. I mean, what a guy. He was amazing. But, you know, that story has stuck with us our whole lives because really what we have is just not ours. We've worked we've worked hard to get a lot of the things that we have, but really we're just taking care of it. Yeah, exactly. That's what stewardship is. And of course in um, Exodus might be one of the best and shortest um, little comments here, thou shalt not covet. I mean yeah, that's a, what ownership a lot of our problem too. is wishing we own something that somebody else owns. I want you to read a little little poem, honey, but before I do, how about this quote from Brigham Young? Um, Whatever you have, it is the Lord's. You own nothing. That's pretty strong. I wish I could speak like Brigham Young. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? Whatever you have, it is the Lord's. You own nothing. <laughs> and, uh, boy, they believed that in those days, and, and obviously we still do too, but it's a different world. Wow. So read this little poem. Okay. Imagine a man who owns 100 acres, proud, protective. Then an inheritance, a gift, a bequest comes to him. An additional 100 acres. Wow! Suddenly he's twice as rich, twice as proud, twice as protective. Aren't I doing well, he says, as he extends his fence and his line of credit and his ego. Now imagine a man who is a steward over 100 acres, grateful and guided by his master's will. Then an increase of stewardship, an additional 100 acres. Thank you for your trust, he says, but I'm happy and busy with what I care for now. I don't need the extra. Still, I will care for it all. Give myself to it. Seek your will for it. Honor you with it. And then this final quote before we go to a little break. Victor Frankl said, There are more and more who have the means to live and less and less who have meaning to live for. I love that. We've got a lot more. Hang on. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back. We're talking today on this podcast about something that we don't discuss very often anymore. It used to be talked about more, I think, than it does now, but it's even more important now, and it's the word stewardship. And we want to give you some blunt feelings and strong admonitions on this word and how it can guide our lives. A church leader was asked why he spent so much time at the church and so little time with his growing family. The Lord needs me, was his reply. He was wrong. The Lord may use us, but he does not need us. We need him, and our families need us. And the eternal stewardship of your family means more to God and should mean more to you than any mere temporary assignment. That's blunt. Yeah, that is blunt. Um, But it goes on. Well, this is John Milton now. Um, Listen to what John Milton said. God does not need either man's work or his own gifts, who best bear his mild yoke. They serve him best. His state is kingly. Thousands at his bidding speed and past or land and ocean without rest. 
they also serve who stand and wait. I've yeah, never seen I that in context. That. I've heard that last phrase so many times, but putting it in context is amazing. And what about Thoreau? Thoreau once likened going to jail with owning a farm. <laughs> he said, both confine and control us. We're encumbered by things we think we own. Thoreau also said, our houses are such unwieldy property that we are often feel imprisoned rather than housed in them. And he said, men have become tools of their tools. And, and, and you know, you get the feeling that well, ownership is a burden. That, you know, that is. Stewardship is a release. Yeah, it is really true, though. I mean, I grew up on a farm where those cows needed to move out twice a day. We never went on vacations. We were stuck to the farm. There were certainly a lot of people and during that era who, who felt the same, but that was their source of income. They, and I remember my dad, we went to Yellowstone once, and it was so <laughs> was exciting. But it really did tie us down, and we, uh, we do feel tied down by our responsibilities with the children as well as as with houses and land and so on. But if you think of them as a stewardship, then they're not a ball and chain around your neck. They're, they're, some, they're, they're a sacred duty. They're something you can pray about. You, you understand they belong to God and not to you. And you become, you become less burdened by them. Um, we love this phrase. There are two ways to achieve financial independence. One is to have unlimited money, and the other is to have limited needs. And we're staying right now with this wonderful son of ours, Jonah, who, who has understood that, that little quote, that precept, better than almost anyone we know. And he is really financially independent, and it's not because he has a lot of money. It's because he is consciously in his wife, Asia, limited their needs. So they live a simple, stewardship-oriented life, and they're a lot happier than if they had a lot of stuff. And we're not talking against owning, we're not talking against affluence, or, or we're not making any judgment. We're just saying it's all so much better if you view it as a stewardship and not ownership. Right, exactly. Because, you know, they also go where they want and do what they want. They traveled Europe for six months with their five kids. They traveled across the country last summer uh, in a crazy car and had a wild adventure. So, I mean, it is really interesting what happens in your mind when you think, you know, this is not a heavy responsibility. This is a freeing thing. You're letting go of the ownership uh, mentality and instead just, I'm taking care of this. I'm taking care of this. Here's Brigham Young again. I love how bluntly he said things. If I have horses, oxen, and possessions, they're the Lord's and not mine. And all I ask is for him to tell me what to do with them. Yeah. So, and, and then this thing about our children you mentioned earlier, Linda, how damaging it is to think of our children as, as ours. Think about this from George Bernard Shaw because you, you can't realize that he got this so beautifully. Listen, if we think our ch of our children as the genetic creations of our own bodies flung into first-time life as if give them birth, as if we give them birth, it may, may follow to think of them as unprogrammed computers that we can program or as lumps of clay which we can mold into whatever we 
wish them to be. This is not George Bernard Shaw, but this leads into a quote by George Bernard Bernard Shaw. But why isn't that? Well, that's what we're reading. Mm, sorry, but this is this is important because go on with that because if we think of them as our. But if we think of our children as God's children, our own brothers and sisters, and as old spiritual, as old spiritually as ourselves. Then the better metaphor is seedlings, each with built-in and unique possibilities. We are not sculptors working with stone, but gardeners or stewards, nourishing and cultivating. So each kind of tree will grow up to its own unique best. That might be the that's, heart of everything yeah, we're saying today. You, actually. I mean, the whole idea that, you know, if you, if the, the, the most damaging application of the concept of ownership is when we think we own our own kids and it's amazing how many parents treat their children as though they own them you know and it promotes all kinds of disrespect and, and antagonism but if you think of those kids as a seed and you're the gardener and you're you don't even know what kind of seed they are you don't know what they'll grow into what kind of tree are they are they an ash are they an elm are they a, a lemon tree what are they but if you nourish them and if you think of yourself as the gardener, that's how you become a good parent. And then, and then the, and then the, you were, uh, here's well, that the George really Bernard, Bernard Shaw. Shaw. Yeah. Um, you just don't quote the, yourself. You don't <laughs> give right. yourself credit for saying that. The spirit to being, the secret. the secret to being miserable is to have the leisure to bother about whether you are happy or not. Oh, that is really Isn't good. That awesome. And then that's Tolstoy awesome. put it this way, when a man takes leave of believing in imaginary property, then only will he make us of his true property. Wow. In other words, wow. you know, you, you just, we, this is, people, great people through the ages have recognized the, the, the untruth of ownership and the importance of real stewardship. And then you get a little funny ones. One who's all wrapped up in himself makes a very small package. Or the sea belongs to him who appreciates it from the shore. The idea that everything is God's and all we can do is do our best to understand it. There's a, there's a, there's a poem called Wonder by Thomas Trahune that really captures it. You're good at reading poetry, Linda. <clears throat> How like an angel came I down, how bright are all things here. When first among his work I did appear, oh, how glory did he crown. The world resembled his eternity, in which my soul did walk, and everything that I did see did with me talk. Cursed and devised proprieties, with envy, avarice, and fraud, those fiends that spoil even paradise fled from the splendor of mine eyes. And so did hedges, ditches, limits, bounds. I dreamt not aught of those, but wandered over all men's crowns and found repose. Proprieties themselves were mined, and hedges ornaments. Walls, boxes, coffers, and their rich contents did not divide my joys, but shine. Clothes, ribbon, jewels, laces, I esteemed my joy by others worn. For me, they all swear them seemed when I was born. So that like a child, a child has natural stewardship. 
he sees the whole world as his because it's all God's. And it's only as we get older and we start comparing and competing and owning and buying and, and selling, more and that's, that. that's when we start losing that beautiful joy. So, you know, proud talent serves the self while humble talent serves the world. And then this, this phrase, you got to think about this. I'm not greedy. All I want is the property next to mine. <laughs> think about that. Which never ends. It never ends. It's so true. And we know so many good people who really have a lot of money, but they are so kind and good with sharing it yeah. and with appreciating it and with like, here, take it. You know, if... If that's what the Lord wants, just take it. And they're, they're stewards. You can get so wrapped up into such a little ball when you feel like you have to, um, you know, do it yourself and take care of it yourself. And it's mine, mine, mine. You can go on and on. Mahatma Gandhi, <laughs> in perhaps one of the most dramatic statements of anti-materialism ever made, gave up the cumbrance and ownership of every earthly thing except three things, his loincloth, his spectacles, and his scriptures. Anything beyond these he had decided would occupy his attention and consume his thought and energy. Well, again, we're not saying become a um, Gandhi. Yeah, I'm not going to go. We're not that. saying that, no, but, no. but the idea behind it is so firm and so strong. Um Thomas More said that said it this way: Pride measures her advantages not by what she has, but what other people lack. Pride would not condescend even to be made a goddess, if there were no wretches for her to sneer at and domineer over. Pride's good fortune is dazzling only by contrast with the miseries of others. Her riches are valuable only as they torment and tantalize the poverty of others. Pride is a serpent from hell, which twines itself around the hearts of men and acts like the suckfish in holding them back from choosing a better way of life. So Man, I mean, ownership thinkers, creates yeah. that kind of pride. Um, I think you should tell this story um, that you said in the book about sitting by somebody next to somebody in a plane. Well, it just shows that things happen to us every single day. You know, we um, we just, you know, like imagine uh, next to me on an airplane sits a financial planner pouring over the balance sheets as I worked on this particular manuscript. What do you do? We exchange the classic American conversation opener. I'll tell you something I've observed in my work, he said, that might tie into your book. He said people typically come to him initially and say, Help me earn and plan and save so that I'll have enough. He helps them set a goal. A number of them say they thought would be enough. and But then he said most people, when they reach enough, say, help me get a bit more as a cushion. And bottom line is, he says, I've never had anyone come to me as a financial planner and say, okay, thanks, I've got enough now. We always, our tendency is to always want more and more and more. And that's what we've got to get over with. Here's a couple more quotes. Um, go ahead. Honey, on that this one. is from uh, De Elder Dallin Oaks. We'll be blessed for the righteous desires of our hearts, even though some outside circumstances have made it impossible for us to carry those desires into action. That's a good one. 
And just time for a couple more. If time were our natural element, we would not, we would wear, would, why would we wear wristwatches? Before you seek riches, seek the kingdom. You get the idea. We could go on and on. There's so many wonderful, we are so far from the originators of these thoughts. They all, they've come down through the ages. They're incredibly wise. And our whole hope today is just to add the idea that the best way to be a good parent, the best way to be a good marriage partner, is to adopt an attitude of stewardship. Even the love you feel for your spouse, it's not something you own, it's a gift to you from the Spirit. And even the beautiful children that surround you, or the grandchildren, or your friends, or your other relationships, you don't own them, you don't control them. You are a steward over those things. And steward is this wonderful word that connects you to God and causes you to wish to do His will. So I am so grateful that you wrote this book and that this is part of your mindset because it's now become part of my mindset. And you do have to kind of make yourself focus on things at times like that and realize that it is one of the most important words we have in the English language. Well, we love you all. We're glad you tuned in today. And join us next week on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye. <laughs>